God is worthy of all of our praise and honor and glory. And I thank you for being here tonight with us to praise our God. To lift up our voices in song. United together in his work. Let us please go together to God in prayer. Gracious and kind, masterful and merciful Heavenly Father. Thank you for giving us another day. Allowing this world to exist one more day so that those, Lord God, who have a desire to come back to you have that additional opportunity. Help us, Lord God, to remember uh, your graciousness and your mercy. Help us, Lord God, to praise you this evening as we worship. And please keep our minds away from worldly thought as we worship this evening. These things we ask and pray and thank you for in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Be thy will. Amen. John chapter 21. Back to the thought of what it would be like to spend the day in the life of Jesus. Uh, remember that recorded for us are three years of his ministry, but he spent 33 years or so on the earth. And we know that the Bible made it clear last week that Jesus did so many things that were not written as far as things that he said. He tried to contain them. In John 21 and verse 24. This is the disciple who bears witness of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his witness is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books which were written. So the detail, the detail of what Jesus did. So we get just a glimpse, right? A small glimpse into the life of Jesus. Turn to Mark chapter 6. And, and the things that he did and the experiences that he had with uh, the brethren and with the world. When we think about Jesus, what would it be like to be with Jesus? Just for a day. So just quickly, uh, last week we talked about the fact that you've got to have private time. One-on-one time with God. And I hope and pray that something was said last week to encourage us to go and have that private one-on-one time with God, just me and God, or God and me in this relationship. Verse 45, And immediately he made his disciples get into a boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida, while he himself was sitting the multitude away. And after bidding them farewell, he departed to the mountain to pray. And when it was evening, the boat was in the midst of the sea, and he was alone on the land. And so Jesus was all alone with God, just that alone time. Luke chapter 6. And so to be like Jesus, to spend a day with Jesus, means I love my alone time with the Father. How much alone time do you have with God? Luke 6 and verse 12. And it was at that time that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his, 12, his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also named as apostles. During that alone time, there's a lot of prayer. A lot of, a lot of, for us, it would look more like uh, meditation and prayer and reading. Meditation and prayer and reading. And what did Jesus do? Think about this. Turn to Matthew 5. To be with Jesus in the midst of all of those enemies. And yet, the one thing that I don't know that we've truly experienced in this life is what Jesus exemplified, and that is a life of true 
agapeo love for your enemies. Right? That is amazing. Verse 43. You've heard that it was said, you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. And I love how it doesn't say enemy, but rather it's plural. Enemies, right? And several of them. Pray for them in order that you may uh, be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he calls the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward you have? Do not even the tax gatherers do the same? And if you greet your brothers only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you ought to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so, to watch that true perfection right in front of you, right before your eyes. Turn to Mark, please. Chapter 1. Jesus. Perfection. Absolute perfection. And beauty and glory. We can learn a lot from him. To spend a day with Jesus, the great teacher, right? The great teacher. Mark chapter 1 and verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and began to teach. And they were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribe. I want to come back to verse 22 in just a second. But go over to John uh, chapter 3. John chapter 3. Remember when Nicodemus came to Jesus by night? And I want you to think about in John 3 what everybody was saying about Jesus. But not just the regular common people. The religious leaders as well. In John 3 and verse 1, uh, the Bible says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. A ruler, this man, came to him by night and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these these signs that you do unless God is with him. And so, to see the miracles, turn back to Mark chapter 1, to hear the teacher teach, to watch the way he lived. In other words, he didn't just preach. If someone said, can I preach your life? To the masses. You know, what would the answer be? Well, we could preach the life that Jesus lived to the masses. To watch him do the things that he says and say the things that he does. The master teacher in verse 22, when he taught and they were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And there's no, no doubt that he not only knew what he was saying, that he believed what he was saying, but that he also lived what he was saying. He was different from everybody else. And to be able to see that just one time in our lives. John chapter 6. Here's what Jesus did. Jesus was not afraid to deal with those uh, sensitive and delicate issues. And he dealt with them in such a way to where... We would have seen the master teacher teach without apology. Right? Tell the truth without apology. For he was the servant of the Most High. In John 6, in verse 64. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe. And who it was that would betray him. And he was saying... 
For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. The difficult stuff. All of John 6 about eating my flesh and drinking the blood. I mean, all of that. And he just kept on teaching and teaching and it was too much for them to handle. And they were offended, some of them. They had different attitudes about it. And some walked away. But Jesus didn't offer any apologies. Matthew, please. Chapter 7. Can you imagine being in the midst of the Pharisees and the scribes as even John was at uh, some point? And the teaching of Jesus speaking of in regards to heaven and saying to them that many of you aren't going to make it in. Verse 21. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Can you imagine when he spoke to the Pharisees? When he called them, John called them a brood of vipers, and Jesus said, you're twice as much a son of hell as the rest. With no apologies. And verse 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. When Jesus taught, when Jesus taught, he knew what was in the hearts and the minds of people. So his lessons were very pointed, right, and very accurate. In Matthew 4, this is what he teaches us. He teaches us this. We would have witnessed Jesus Christ standing against the devil. And we might have thought, well, you know, if Jesus is going to stand against the devil, he'll just, he'll just cast him out and, and he'll just do these things to them and do, but that's not what he did. What he taught us was, he taught us how to deal with the devil. And he showed us. You cannot, we cannot defeat Satan without scripture. That's the encouragement to read the word every day and to learn and grow. We need scripture. Jesus needed scripture, right? You think in the temptation, Jesus could have said, you know, I'm just not going to do it. And then left it at that. And he wouldn't have, but he used scripture. Matthew 4, verse 4. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. There's more to life than food. Physical sustenance. You need the spiritual words of God. Verse 7. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Have I ever tested God? That's something we're never supposed to do. And then verse 10. Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. You take these three, just these three scriptures, and build your life around them. And what an amazing life it is that we will live. Look at Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. So He would have told us that there's a greater ordeal, a portion of our lives that really needs to be deeply involved and rooted in of the scriptures. Now here's something else Jesus taught us that we would have seen 
we would have witnessed the power of the kingdom of God. It hadn't come yet, but the whole point of Jesus' mission was not only to seek and save the lost, but the power of the kingdom of God was displayed in him. Mark chapter 1 and verse 14. And after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That may not seem like an awful lot to us. But in the midst of Caesar, right? you go talking about another kingdom, that's a death threat. And Jesus preached the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. That's the importance of the church, right? He preached it even in the midst of the challenge of life and death. So being with Jesus during that day, this is what we would have thought. We would have thought to ourselves, what an amazing, what an amazing man Jesus Christ was. He challenges his people To surrender. To surrender your will. To surrender my will to God. Right? To surrender it all to God. I know there are things that I want and and things that I desire, but I need to surrender those things to God. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 16, Jesus comes along in your life. He comes to your house. He knocks on your door. He comes to your job and he says... As he was going along by the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. What is your answer? Think about that. They're at work. They're they're doing their everyday, normal jobs. And Jesus comes along. And says, follow me. What is your answer to that? Walking with the master teacher, you would have seen people drop their fishing nets, leave their occupations just to follow him. I mean, Jesus is important, isn't he? Look at Mark chapter 8. What what an amazing thought that, that they dropped their nets and they followed him. Mark 8 and... Verse 34. And he summoned the multitudes with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake shall save it. For... What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What a, what a question. What a, what a question. What, what can you gain in this life that's worth losing your soul over? Here's something he would have challenged us to do. Turn to Mark chapter 1. He would have challenged us to make sacrifices in our lives. I mean, that was a sacrifice in itself when he comes along and just says, follow me. But he would have challenged us to make necessary sacrifices in our lives. In verse 18, and they immediately left their nets and followed him. 
And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and went away to follow him. Didn't he say something like, if you're going to follow me, you're going to leave your mother and father and brothers and sisters, right? You can, no, in other words, what he was saying is that you've you got to come to a point in your life where nothing and no one, even your mother or your father, can come between you and your God. Right? Can never come before you and your God. He would have challenged us to make amazing decisions in our lives. And then if you will, down in verse, or back in verse 17. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. I'm going to give you a purpose. And when you're a fisherman, you know, every day you, you, you have a job to, well, to, to catch fish. Now some of this was for their own sustenance, for their own food, for their homes. Others were a part of their occupation. And so in Christ, it becomes both our necessary food to seek and save the lost. Now, let me tell you something about fish. You can't catch fish. We used to always say you can't win if you're not in. <laughs> right? you got to have your line in the water. If it's not in the water with bait, you're not going to catch fish. How many of us have our lines in the water? How many of us have bait on our hooks? How many of us have left our fishing poles at home? Everywhere we go, every single day, we have to have bait on our lines and on our hooks and cast out, ready to catch fish. Every opportunity, we have to seize the opportunity to seek and save that which is lost. Things that are said by other people. uh, Things that we hear. Situations that we're in. Always look for an opportunity to talk to someone about Jesus. Always be ready for that moment when Jesus Christ brings someone into your life that you can help spread or share the gospel with. That's what he would have taught us how to do. And you go, well, well, how would he have done that? Well, he would have trained us. Turn to Luke, please, chapter 6. He would have trained us. So the apostles went through, if you will, an early boot camp, if you want to call it that. They went through an amazing training session, and they, they were trained to do this. They were trained to lead by serving. They were trained to lead through service, right? People don't always, you've heard this said by many people, they don't always want to know what you have to say, but they do want to know how you live your life. They're very interested in your life and how you live and what you say and what you do. To be trained by Jesus. Imagine what that would have felt like and what that would have been like. Verse uh, Luke chapter 6 and verse 49. 39 rather, excuse me. And he also spoke a parable to them. A blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? Will they not both fall into the pit? So imagine that now. First thing you have to think about is, all right, who's leading here? Are you leading or Jesus? It's something we've got to ask ourselves every day, right? In our lives and everything that we say and everything that we do and our decisions we make, we have to ask ourselves, who's in the driver's seat? Who's leading this? Am I leading it or is Jesus leading it? I'm the blind man. I'm the man that needs his eyes open. I'm the man that needs to be able to see life through the eyes of Jesus. 
Jesus is the master teacher. He's the one who sees. So if a blind man leads a blind man, if I lead you without Jesus, we're all falling into the pit. Now, verse 40 though. Verse 40. A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained will be like his teacher. That's when we're able to see. To be like Jesus. So being with Jesus for a day or spending a day in the life of Jesus should challenge our lives in such a way to transform us, to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. Not, not, like, not like Mike, you know, everybody want to, wants to be like Mike. No, I want to be like Jesus, right? And here's what Jesus tells us. He tells us that the fish are biting. The world, they're curious. They want to know, are you able to share with them the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ in spirit and in truth? Are you able to pick up your Bibles and point them to God? Are you able, through your lifestyle, to point people to Jesus? Or, through my lifestyle, am I pointing people in the opposite direction? To be trained to be like Jesus in everything that I say, everything I do, and every action that I display, to be like Jesus. Matthew chapter 9. There's something that Jesus would have trained his disciples to be able to do. He would have trained them to be able to recognize things. Because they live life in the big picture, right? The big, what's the big picture? I mean, the smaller, you know, stuff is all about me. But what's the big picture? The big picture is there are only two people, two people in this world today. The saved and the lost. That's the big picture. The big picture. I need to keep myself saved. Number one. Keep myself saved. Number two. I need to recognize the lost. Not to point a finger at them. But to be prepared and ready to lead them to Jesus. So Jesus said in the world of the big picture. In Matthew 9 in verse 36. And seeing the multitudes, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. The big picture. Wow. The world is in disarray. What about my life? My life should be with purpose and direction. But the world, they're in disarray, right? They're, they're like sheep running around if you've ever seen that before, it's kind of a pitiful sight. Because they run around, they also go, man, they're always looking for, help me. They're saying, help They're lost, right? And the world, that's what it's like. They're like sheep running around without a clue. They have no shepherd. And when you see that, instead of seeing physical people, right? Physical people. You see souls. And you see souls that need Jesus. And so you feel compassion for them. Jesus felt compassion for all the people who were living as sheep without a shepherd. 
Because they don't know what we have. They don't know what they're missing. And we have an opportunity to teach them, to tell them, to show them. In verse 37, And then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Well, ever heard anyone say, Well, I just, I'm having a hard time, you know, getting Bible studies. I know. It is, it is sometimes challenging. But remember that the way you live your life and the way you speak, you're a, you're a Bible study to the world every single day. Every single day. You know the world watches us, right? They want to see how we handle challenging situations. They want to see. They're watching us. And then he goes on and closing this lesson out. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers in the harvest. So here's one constant that's never going to change. The harvest will forever be plentiful and in need of workers. And here's one constant that we have to continually pray for, that God will send us workers for this field that's ready and ripe for the gospel. Tonight I close with this question. Are you willing to be that worker? Are you that person that we have prayed for? Are you that person that has compassion for a lost and dying world who are running around as sheep without a shepherd? Have you been trained by Jesus? Are you walking like Jesus? Is Jesus leading your life every step and every moment of every day? The lesson is yours, and tonight if you have not surrendered to Christ in the waters of baptism, we invite you to surrender tonight. You might be baptized in the Christ. That God may wash your soul, your sins away. If you're struggling in your faith and you would like prayers made on your behalf, uh, we'd be happy to do that. To pray with you and pray for you. If there's anything we can do, please come while together. We stand and sing our song of invitation.